everyone, welcome to Dance Matters Podcast. Now there's no doubt at the moment that lots of people are facing challenges in their lives as a result of the COVID-19 virus. Many people are out of work or facing loss of income as a result. It has, in particular, affected the performing arts industry. Suddenly, theatres and stages are empty. But what has really come out of this whole situation is how much people in the performing arts industry are there to support each other. They band together, they get creative, and they find ways to continue to inspire and do what they love. One real way in which this has been highlighted to me recently is with the support of Ronald McDonald House Charity's latest fundraiser. Dance for Sick Kids is a virtual event aiming to keep people connected and raise much-needed funds to support seriously ill children and their families. I have been blown away to see so many dancers I know jump on board to support this. Two of our upcoming guests are actually ambassadors for the charity, so I wanted to give it a shout-out now before the event begins next week. So if you're interested in becoming involved, jump on to danceforsickkids.com and see how you can help others out at this time. What an awesome and worthwhile event to be involved in. Now during this tough time, I know we have all been facing our own mental battles and I thought it would be a great time to talk to this week's guest about the mental health of ourselves, our young dancers and how we can get the best out of each other. I've had a lot of listeners reach out to me with a request to interview a mental skills coach due to the performance anxiety they have seen in their young dancer. Well today I am so fortunate to have found someone who can help us understand the mindset of our dancers and how we can help them achieve peak performance. More importantly, we are going to discuss well-being and how well-being can be improved for everyone, whether you dance or you don't. Today's incredible guest is Rory Darkins. Rory is a positive psychology researcher, speaker and high-performance coach. He has worked with elite professional and Olympic athletes from numerous sports in his role as a high-performance conditioning coach. He has numerous degrees in psychology and has developed unique well-being and performance programs for individuals. Rory travels as a keynote speaker in schools, for corporate events and at international conferences. He brings an amazing wealth of knowledge and experience and I'm just so lucky that he agreed to talk to me. Hi Rory, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks Kayleigh, it's a pleasure to be here. Rory, you work as a mental skills coach. For those listeners who don't know what that role involves, could you explain that to us a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in psychology. The question of how do we become our best and uh, achieve meaningful goals but do so in a way where we maintain and optimize our well-being from that background teaching the mental skills that help people to become their best and to build well-being but also help people understand what makes them tick and how they can bring their best to to life so it draws on mostly psychology but a lot of disciplines related to the science of, of human flourishing so that's what i do and where it comes from and i love it so where did your interest in this field first develop i was always interested in the mental side of sport growing up i was a really ambitious uh, cricket player and um, played some semi-professional cricket and it was in that and the challenges that you face naturally you know in a competitive sport like cricket where you experience quote-unquote failure quite a lot Uh, you have more bad days than good days as a cricketer and um, so through my own um, sport it was the mental side I was so aware that it was really crucial and as I delved into it and started studying it formally through university I just fell in love with everything that goes into making people who they are and how they can um, bring their best I found then that I got a much bigger kick out of helping other people achieve their goals and navigate the challenges that come with that. You run a high performance coaching business can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah so I work with a a number of one-on-one clients and that individual work is really 
rewarding to go deep with people on the journey and help them to to clarify what it is that they want to move towards, what purpose looks like to them and help them to navigate the challenges that come with pursuing your potential. That's what I, I love to do and there's that one-on-one side of it and then there's also I, I do some speaking and workshops along with uh, Olympian Eloise Wellings. Um, we talk in schools and talk in um, corporate organisations and work with, with people that way. I was going to ask you about your work with Eloise Wellings. Now she isn't a dancer but she is an Olympic runner. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with her in schools? We've um, loved for the last couple of years going into high schools and um, presenting a two-part presentation uh, where she shares her story as as an Olympic athlete who has navigated some really extreme challenges and setbacks in her career. And her story is essentially a case study in what it takes to uh, pursue our passion and purpose with with real resilience and perspective and her, her story is so engaging for young people and adults alike that it really helps people to get a fresh perspective on what's possible for them and and feel motivated and inspired to go after their dreams regardless of what their current experiences may be and then I follow up her, her part of the presentation with the mental skills that we can all develop and apply in order to, to realise what uh, our potential could look like and what purpose could look like for us and how we can move through those challenges along the way. Why do you think it's important to take that into schools? The younger we start, the better, because as humans develop, we're developing belief systems and worldviews and um, ways of thinking and habits and that and so the younger we start, the more opportunity there is for, for teenagers to really front load these mental skills. And kind of what I mean by that is to build the resilience ahead of time so that they lean into more challenges. They start thinking about what their best possible future could look like and what passion looks like. And it enables them to be on that path toward really flourishing in life a whole lot earlier rather than waiting until until they're in a career that they're not happy with. I think for teenagers in particular, there's so many challenges um, that are unique to them. They are forming their identity and, and navigating the social space of, of life. The mental skills are all the more important to have um, within their internal toolkit um, at that age. Yeah, for sure. The teenage years are definitely challenging, and I would say that's probably becoming a younger issue, particularly with social media these days. You mentioned Eloise Wellings. Who are some of the other athletes? Now, I know client-patient confidentiality, you may not be able to name names, but maybe some of the fields of people you have worked with in the past? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Eloise is two times Olympian as a, as a runner. And so working with people like that is, you know, I learn as much as they do in terms of what it takes to navigate the challenges of that level of sport. But that said, I've worked with um, Olympians from other sports, other rounds of athletics, also some elite swimmers. Uh, I've done a lot of work within cricket um, and with some of the hockey players, a lot of soccer players. Yeah, I guess across a lot of different sports. And I think it would be a mistake to kind of think that, you know, one sport has hugely different challenges to another mm-hmm. as humans trying to express our potential mm-hmm. you know the principles stay the same and the, the you know the mental skills that make a difference make this uh, stay the same so the 
work we do is really transferable across anything. And the main finding from my own research was that well-being is a platform for performance. Obviously, there's lots of different sports you've worked with, but essentially it comes down to the human mental side and that's transferable across a lot of different sports. We all sort of face similar kind of problems no matter whether you're playing cricket uh dancing gymnastics whatever it is uh you can have similar mental issues that are blocking you from performing absolutely yeah so we run a dance podcast so essentially a lot of the people listening will be dancers or be parents of dancers or uh, coaches of dancers what do you think the mental side plays in the life of a young dancer I'd say it's it's huge, and I must admit from the get-go that I'm married to a dancer. My wife uh, studied dance in New Zealand, and uh, has been been heavily involved in that in her life. So I'm familiar with it through her. But like any sport or endeavour, there are there are challenges that come with expressing yourself where you're being critiqued and mm-hmm. where performance is a valued thing, and where feedback on what you did right and wrong is is a necessary part of the growth cycle and so you know to be able to keep showing up and to embrace the the challenges that come with improving and embracing and enjoying your craft you know the mental side is what enables you to keep doing that and to experience joy as you do that um and so i'd say you know for those reasons it's it's a huge component. We're going to go into a little bit more detail about specific personality traits or specific situations yeah. I see as issues for dancers in particular. There seems to be a certain personality trait or certain personality traits that are similar across young dancers. One that I've seen a lot of is the perfectionist type personality where they want everything to be perfect and it causes a lot of distress for them when things aren't. What are your yeah. thoughts or advice for harnessing that trait, turning it into a positive for them? Yeah, that's a brilliant question because the way I look at this and this one in particular is you know I see it a lot firstly across all walks of life is that there's this tension between striving for perfection and being stuck in the dark side of the of what comes with the desire to move towards quote-unquote perfection mm-hmm. and so the way I think about this from the research is that the character strength that supports this is appreciation of beauty and excellence. In other words, it's you have high standards and you really value quality. And this character strength is a positive and this character strength is what enables people to view uh, a, a brilliant dance performance and really appreciate and acknowledge the details and the nuances of that. And it's the same character strength that enables um, individuals to persist and strive toward improving and improving and when it's used as a strength that appreciation of quality is a positive and with every strength there is a tendency that comes with it for overplay which is like the other side of the coin of that strength so mm-hmm. when it becomes overused or not optimally used in a particular moment that can look like perfectionism this is the sort of dark side of that strength you know the sense of never being good enough and then the sense of um, critique and that taking really negative flavor Mm -hmm. and so what i'd say for people um, who identify with the tendency towards perfectionism is is two things one is if you're aware that you've actually got the strength of valuing quality then use that but don't let it use you so choose when and how you want to express that strength. Also notice times when you need to maybe dial it back and 
actually be okay with things not quite being perfect. So an example might be when it's when it's time to review and feedback on something, that's the time to really engage it and look at um, what could have been better. Don't let that take over the whole experience or, or be in the way of the joy that you feel from actually trying and expressing your best in that particular moment. The link between perfectionism and identity is really important. If your identity and you, your desire to be perfect is so that it gives you your self-worth or it's a reflection of you as a person, mm-hmm. then that can be dangerous. And so it's important to separate your worth and identity as a person from the quality of performance that you've just put out. Yeah, right. So you can strive to continue to improve on something, but not set your self-worth or value on how well you perform. Absolutely. And when you can decouple those two things, so when you can keep your identity and worth as a person separate, from the quality or, or level of your performance, then there's incredible freedom in that. And that freedom is really helpful in terms of improving. When you don't feel like you're performing for your self-worth, then there's freedom to actually take some risks and there's freedom to really, I guess, put it all out there in a way where that enables a better performance than would be possible if you felt like your identity was on the line every time you expressed yourself. It's important from a performance point of view just as much as it's important from an enjoyment point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the downfall of that perfectionism is that they gain a lot of performance anxiety. So it's like they feel nervous and they're feeling like they're going to let someone down if they muck up a performance or if they don't do it to their best of their ability. How can parents in that situation like right before they're going out on stage if their child's getting that anxiety what can they do at that moment in the immediate moments of stepping out into the arena so to speak that moment when you're about to to go out and do your thing nerves and anxiety and that stress response is actually totally normal and i think that we in our society across all sports and um, many other parts of life we've kind of made stress the bad guy when really all stress is is your body rising to a challenge and it's your body preparing to to do what it needs to do so that stress response in and of itself is not a negative but the most powerful thing an individual can do is change their relationship to those feelings so when you notice your heart's beating faster and you notice that your palms are getting a bit sweaty and you're having that typical stress response first thing I would say is to instead of thinking oh no this is not supposed to happen acknowledge that feeling as your body rising to a challenge and being ready to go and secondly there's no difference physiologically in that response between anxiety and excitement and so you get to choose in that moment are you going to interpret that change in your body as excitement or as anxiety and for sport the research is really clear that simply changing your interpretation of those changes to be oh this is me being excited because i get to do this that leads to performance improvement and um, the ability to enjoy the experience so in that moment embrace those feelings for what they are don't try to change them just change Change how you look at them yeah right yeah it's it's the perception of it Mm -hmm. and that sets you up to actually go out and um, gives you a greater chance to get into a, a flow state which is the most optimal state 
that a human can be in and so stress is necessary and so if you wanted we can loop back up to the, what we can do bef- well before that moment because yep. the answer is probably slightly different when we're a little bit upstream of, of the actual performance moment yeah so if you've got a competition tomorrow not that you do because no competitions are running yeah. that would be your reaction but if we now and now might be the good time can lay a bit more foundation for setting the child up to a better situation what would we do i think this is where the identity thing is really important you mentioned earlier about the tendency for um, young dancers to feel like they they don't want to let someone down Mm -hmm. and ultimately as people we're wired to connect and belong and this fear of not belonging is a hugely powerful motivator and driver and so a lot particularly with really young athletes when their identity becomes foreclosed which is just a a fancy psychology word for when who you think you are is what you do so you're you're a dancer Mm -hmm. and that's that's entangled in your identity and your worth and and things like that so when you think i'm a dancer the going out and not measuring up is actually taken on board as I'm not enough, if a parent is unhappy because of the performance, then that's internalized by the young person as being, there's something wrong with me. What we can do in supporting um, young people is to help affirm and, and make it really clear and obvious and repeatedly uh, reinforce the fact that who they are is not what they do. You're not going to love them any less if they have the worst performance of all time and you're not going to treat them any differently if they have the worst performance of all time so the way we do that is by praising and giving feedback on the character that they're showing and the effort that they're putting in not just the outcomes and so that the message is really clear for the young person that who I am is not on the line when I go out and express myself because that's like there's not many things scarier than that for a young person you're not competing for your self-worth i'm not going to think any differently of you based on the outcome and so go out and give it your absolute best and enjoy that and we'll learn from whatever happens and you know the sun will come up tomorrow yeah life will keep going on I have noticed that the morning of a competition and suddenly this hurts going in my hair, these stockings are too tight and they snap at their brothers and they're really short-tempered. Is that something you see across young people as a way of deal with the nerves or is that something that we can uh, improve in some way? So I think it's helpful for us all to have a, a good understanding of what stress does to the body and the brain and essentially when you're perceiving stress, which is natural when you're going into a competition, you start paying attention in a far more narrow sense, you know, so you're less open and creative and supportive potentially and you're often a lot more um, self-focused and and narrow-focused. And so I would say we need to kind of have some grace for, for young people who their nervous system is activated, their heart's beating a bit faster than all these more stress hormones um, floating around their body and those things are helping them get ready to go out and perform but with that you know the stress response does recruit a lot more of the more ancient 
brain areas which are a lot more about survival and a lot more about looking after yourself i think just having grace for the fact that yeah they're going to be a little edgier than normal there's nothing wrong per se with having a stress response in, in preparation for for something that matters to them because again to kind of um hammer home the point about stress is stress is your body rising to the challenge and it and it happens when something that matters to you is at stake we want sport to matter to kids um, and so it's, it's natural that they are going to have that, that heightened stress response so essentially it's something that's important to them so therefore they're having a stress response and we should as parents try and be calm and just be a little bit more forgiving that that's going to happen yeah whilst i think using that opportunity to help them understand what's going on yeah. for them because I think there's nothing there's nothing more empowering than actually understanding yeah right what um, what's going on. So you know that's a great opportunity for young people to become aware of how they respond in stress and improve how they respond in stress for life, not just for for their sport. I think there's a huge growth opportunity presented there. Help them understand themselves better and understand what their body does when something that matters to them is is at stake and who do you want to be when you're in stress the ability to be the type of person you want to be when you're experiencing stress is is a skill that sets you up for life in so many ways now when a child turns up to a competition and they're feeling a bit like the underdog feeling like oh my gosh this person i know this person i've seen what they can do i can't compete with these what would you say we could do to improve their attitude going into that performance yeah it's it's a great question because it's obviously such a common experience i think the two important things anyway number one is what are they hoping to achieve from the experience or, or more importantly what's the why behind what they're doing and is it to win or is winning everything or is it actually to improve or to express their best and learn and to grow and move towards a bigger picture outcome so i think just having that perspective on what that particular competition or moment means in the biggest scheme of things can be really helpful the answer most often is it's not actually about winning every time or or being perfect every time because it's so much more about having the opportunity to see what you've got and Mm -hmm. to learn and to grow and to move forward and so that can shift the perspective from your competition instead of being a threat who can take something away from you just seeing them as actually helping you to move towards your goals can be really transformative because ultimately then you're competing with rather than competing against people and that's the true spirit of competition the competitors need each other in order to each improve right Mm -hmm. it's not about getting rid of your competition so that you can be the one left standing you know so changing that relationship between how you see competitors and what they're interpreted as i think can be really helpful to say i need you to help me be better yeah and that's what I'm, I, I love is the process of getting better, not just the outcome of being, you know, on top of that particular day. When a child comes off stage from a performance, what is the best way that a parent can give constructive feedback? So we want to help them to improve, but we also don't want to demoralise the child for what they've just done. What's the best way to present that feedback to them? Yeah, I'll, I'm going to start this one by saying that I'm not a parent and you are the expert in your, your own parenting as an individual and you know, with your own children. So you know them better than anyone else. So I say this with that kind of set up front 
honestly, I would say ask more questions. So ask more than assert. Because if as as parents or as you know coaches, if we sort of step back and ask, what do we want? What are they doing it for? And what what do we hope they may get from the experience? Then that leads to a lot more curiosity as opposed to kind of like, here's the three things you could have done better in order to win next time. And ultimately, you know, feedback that centers around what you saw them do well and what you are proud of. Anyone that goes out and expresses themselves on a stage, like that's courage, right? You know, making sure that we're affirming the character strengths that we see emerging through kids going out and, and you know, showing up and expressing themselves. You know, the feedback on the positive bits of their character, how you see them, how you saw them respond to challenges, highlighting all that so that's going to build their sense of competence and doing difficult things and being uncomfortable and, and navigating that and being the person they want to be regardless of, of what they're experiencing. So. Uh, you know, that's not even giving any feedback on the specific skills that they did or didn't execute, right? Like, that's all character-based feedback, mm-hmm. and, um, effort-based feedback. And one little thought with that is that the human mind has a negativity bias. And so we, as adults and young people the same, we tend to hold on to what's wrong far mm-hmm. more than what's right. And so they'll know what they did wrong. <laughs> like, they will be pretty aware of, you know, where they made mistakes. And so highlighting those isn't necessarily that helpful. Yeah. But trying to balance out the negativity bias by giving feedback about what they did right mm-hmm. and, you know, and in a really truthful, genuine way, not just sort of warm fuzzies, but actually noticing and, and calling out, you know, the, the things that they did do right and they did well and, and what you're proud of, like affirming those positives is going to help reinforce that message that we talked about earlier that they're not competing for their self-worth or their, you know, lovability isn't on the line when they go out and express themselves. I think what I've been trying to get over in my mind is the fact that I need to give positive feedback in order for her to get back out in the next section and perform well. And sometimes those things that are specific to that routine, I don't need to give her that feedback in that moment because it's not going to help. She's not doing that same dance. If they're not going to help the next performance, leave them for a later date and just focus on the positivity to get them up for the next performance. Yeah, right. That's awesome. And with that, you know, the more you do that, the more they are going to feel feedback's going to become a safe thing for them. Yeah. You know, it's and for so many people in sport, like the car ride home is the most feared part of the yeah. week. <laughs> and and it shouldn't be, you know. And so I think it's the more, you know, feedback becomes this safe thing that they actually crave, they start asking questions like, did you think I could have done it this way or that way? Um, that's what we want, right? We want them to be engaged in their own development and um, driving it themselves. Now, I did say I'm trying, Rory. I didn't say I've achieved it yet. Sometimes I think I need a bit of duct tape for my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Instead for yeah, days. Well, that's why I started my answer with a caveat. <laughs> I don't think there's a rule book, but I think it's like, I say, all I can give people are some of the, the principles. Look into the science of self-determination theory if you haven't already and any parent hasn't already. So self-determination theory is that our intrinsic or internal motivation comes from a desire to be competent, to be autonomous, as in... Um, 
steer steer the ship for ourselves and to have positive supportive relationships and so as parents and coaches and anyone around an athlete or a young person the more we create this environment where we help them grow in their competence in a way that where they are autonomous so that they are driving the bus so to speak in, in their own in their own journey and it's with supportive relationships like that that's i think the framework that could be most helpful for parents to just keep in mind like oh yeah actually let me just keep providing this environment and that will enable them to really become alive i've spoken about this a few times that i find dancer stedford's quite a strange situation so if you are playing yeah. soccer it's the person who scores the most goals if you're running it's the person who's first past the post with dancing, yep. it's a performing arts. It's all open to interpretation and every judge will yeah. see it differently. Do yep. you see Dancer Stedfords as a healthy environment for young children to be participating in? With any judgment-based performance situation, I think the environment that we create around athlete is the most important thing. And so, but if they can go into that environment knowing that their worth as a person in that state and that they're going to have uh, a safe and enjoyable car ride home regardless of <laughs> someone else's opinion then there's a freedom there that enables them to be you know to be just fine and to even thrive in that environment but if that environment around them isn't there then a judge's subjective feedback could be hugely damaging to mm-hmm. a young person because they're hearing it as a critique of them <laughs> as yeah. an individual and so that has to start at home right and with any feedback it's an opportunity to learn and to grow now i always talk to my kids whether it be at school or my own personal kids about being humble and being good winners or good losers regardless of how the, the outcome is of the performance but i feel like the best dancers go out on stage with this air of confidence like they almost own the stage how do you reconcile yeah. that difference between teaching your child to go out there with the confidence of I am the best, yet be humble when they walk off? Humility and confidence are often seen as in competition with each other, right? Or um, mutually exclusive. But true confidence comes with great humility. And I think that the more we can help young people to have the sense of freedom within themselves that they can have the courage to go out there and express everything that they've got on that particular day the more they can just be free to express that that's what confidence looks like when you watch someone do that you think oh, they're not holding back right they're, they're really expressing themselves they're not doubting themselves i touched on the flow state earlier where you know flow is this peak performance peak experience state where we feel our best and we perform our best and that's what we want to help young people to go out and experience we want them to experience flow and the more that they can do that the more confident they will come across as but then when they step off the stage that doesn't make them better than anyone else the dance industry in particular we have seen lots of changes in recent years and we're seeing younger children do more and more training i know that um, teachers comment on how different it is from when they were young and when they were training do you see any issue with burnout from a psychology point of view? In a sense, yeah. I think burnout's really related to what we touched on before in terms of identity. Mm-hmm. And the important thing for people to be aware of is that there are two types of passion. One is called harmonious passion and 
one is called obsessive passion and the difference has a lot to do with identity so harmonious passion is where you value and love the activity and but you're choosing to engage in it mm-hmm. so that's that autonomy like you're wanting to go and do it and you're doing it because you choose to obsessive passion is where you, you value the activity but it's such a big part of your identity that you almost feel like you have to do it otherwise you won't be you (laughs) or it's so it's choosing you and that's what we see that the research is obsessive passion leads to burnout and whilst in the short term you can perform well with obsessive passion because you're going to work hard and do that over the long term you either end up burning out getting injured dropping your sport or falling out of love with it yeah and with harmonious passion where say it's still important to you you're still invested in it but you're choosing it you don't feel like compelled to do it otherwise who will i be without it when you have harmonious passion then the passion actually gives you well-being and it gives you energy and all the performance benefits are still there so again it's it's so important that young people are supported to develop harmonious passions where they're choosing to do them and they're doing them for the intrinsic value of doing them rather than where they may lead to is the only reason to do it then they can train a lot they can be really engaged and do the you know 10,000 plus hours that people may have heard of but in a way where they're less likely to experience that dark side of burnout or really falling out of, of love or picking up more injuries because so many athletes who are driven through an obsessive passion, they end up getting injured because when those days when they know they shouldn't go and push it, they go and push it because this is compulsion to do rather than this sort of free will choice. Actually, just take a day off, for mm. example. It's interesting you say that because I was thinking back to an interview I did with a champion trampolinist who at 16 was just totally burnt out and she gave up overnight. And her comment was that she was so lost for a few years because she felt like her whole identity had been taken away from her. That's the cost of identity foreclosure or, you know, as a young person, who you are becoming completely wrapped up with what you do and and your passion. And, you know, the risk is that then you have to keep engaging in the thing. Otherwise, if you stop, you lose who you are. And that's such a risk in terms of depression and burnout and um, you know many know that the outcomes later on that's part of the reason why you're seeing so much research come out now about not specializing too early in sport yeah because that's one way of buffering against that the idea is the same as that you know they need to be doing it because they choose to do it and we need to affirm them for who they are not what they do what do you think about the role of social media on young dancers um social media is here and it's it's here to stay and so it's it would be easy to point out all the negatives that come with social media and they are it's a real thing i think what might be most helpful is just to kind of comment on maybe the way we engage with it and i think much like what we just talked about with obsessive and harmonious passion the more people are supported to let's use an example of instagram right like are you opening instagram without even thinking mm-hmm. or because you kind of feel like you, you have to or are you choosing to open it for a reason and so the more aware young people can become about what they um, want to do and it may be check instagram the, the more they're in control of their own engagement in it and i think one of the greatest costs of 
social media is when it just becomes mindless and it, and it actually just hijacks our attention and um, we're, we're not even actively choosing to be engaging in it and that's when I think it, it can be quite a negative but if we're empowered to be aware of our engagement in it then we stay in control and I think that's the skill that we need to help young people to build so that they can um, navigate that space. I, I think the ultimate mental skill that we have is the ability to choose where we direct our attention and obviously social media can be something that hijacks attention. So I think it's just choosing where we put our attention rather than letting it just be stolen um, is the important point and what you, what you choose to do with it is up to you. I think the bad thing is in you saying that I'm like oh my gosh I so often find myself opening something and then going why am I even on here? Yeah, doing yeah, it without yeah, even thinking about it exactly and that is all of us like it's not you know this isn't uh, the whole space of social media is not just something for young people it's for all of us to be aware of you know why am i opening this what am i looking to do here this is something i actually want to do <laughs> and yeah. if we can keep that being our own choice then we're in charge and it's ultimately what gives us our, our power is our ability to choose modeling that to kids it's probably a really good thing where we can yeah that's true the role modeling thing okay i'm not mm. going to open it without <laughs> making a conscious choice rory <laughs> i'm working on it <laughs> I'm well, laughing because I need to go back to my caveat of not being a parent. <laughs> it's like, who's this guy telling us how to parent? He doesn't know what's really right. He's probably right. Oh, I'm sure we can all do with some parenting <laughs> upskilling. There is no handbook on how to be a parent, unfortunately. They hand you the baby, they don't hand you the manual. Yeah. So when you're looking at dancers, are there any character or personality traits you think are common across that population? Being married to a dancer, do you notice anything in particular? Yeah, you know, I think the big one is that appreciation of quality. That strength can lead to perfectionism, as we talked about before, if it's allowed to kind of um, take over. But it's this real valuing of beautiful things, you know, a great performance or a, a routine that really moves you or inspires you. And that appreciation of that is the reason we, you know, we go and watch performances, right? And we're inspired by great performances. You work with different athletes and different children across a range of sports. What do you think is the biggest mental block holding children back from achieving their goals? I'm trying to give you a short answer, but I'm going to give you a long one. <laughs> um, <laughs> when anyone expresses themselves honestly, like they genuinely express their best the fear that they're going to do that and not be enough is such a crippling fear because we're exposed you know and high performance requires vulnerability which is you know to show up and express everything that you have honestly in that moment and to really open yourself up when you can't control the outcome and so there's such a risk in expressing yourself honestly yet that's the requirement in order to express our potential and so that space between giving it all you've got and the fear of falling on your face if you do that and how exposed and vulnerable you'll feel or be in doing that because you can't control the outcome that's what I find is, is hugely challenging Now I'm thinking from all of this talk that you're going to say that the best age to start is from when they're a baby from when they they start <laughs> but what age do you think it's important to start looking at the psychology behind the dancer two parts to this i think the most important thing is actually the environment that we create around them we step back back and look at everything we've 
talked about today, which yeah. pretty much boiled down to help them know that they're enough as they are and that when they are dancing, they're not dancing for nothing's at stake about who they are. The belief system that supports that is created from day dot in a sense. So that's why I think the environment around them is the most important thing at least up until the middle teenage years. Now for us parents that are currently freaking out that we have done all of these things that we shouldn't have done and and worrying this a little bit too late, is it ever too late to implement these things? Not at all. Like if you've got a teenage or a pre-teenage child, then already starting earlier than most people <laughs> if you start talking about this stuff. So it's definitely not too late and we've got to understand that the human brain is always changing. You know, neuroplasticity means that it's always updating and um, and rewiring in certain ways and so we have the opportunity at any age to learn new things and build new ways of thinking and seeing ourselves in the world so it's never too late awesome so i haven't totally mocked my child up yet there is still time for me to redeem myself okay so growth mindset is a bit of a almost trendy phrase at the moment but how can we actually in a non-superficial way implement that way of thinking with our kids growth mindset is um, a trendy phrase because exciting kind of theory that's emerged from the research but that said it's not as black and white as I think sometimes is presented as and so yes it's really important and really helpful to build a growth mindset within young people but we don't either have a fixed or a growth mindset and I think the mistake often comes by saying it's enough to just understand the concept and and then say oh yeah that's right I'm going to take a growth mindset when really a growth mindset is a set of beliefs beliefs are typically subconscious things a lot of our beliefs are built within the first seven years of our life but then they're updated and changed as we experience life and it's not as binary as this person's got a growth mindset this person's got a fixed mindset necessarily and so what i'd encourage people to do is to ensure that the environment actually reflects a growth mindset rather than just teach the individual about a growth mindset yeah is that it's embedded in the way we do things yeah. not just hey remember have a growth mindset here's your feedback yeah <laughs> We're going to move on to the talk of the moment, the coronavirus. Now, that's affecting everyone massively, but I see particularly the performing arts sector. You know, dancers can't go and perform anymore. They can't teach their classes. My concern in particular is for the mental well-being of those people who can no longer perform or might be out of a job. Are you concerned about the mental health of the country in this crisis and how can we work through that? Absolutely. As a global community, we haven't experienced anything like this collectively in recent history and so it's unprecedented and it's um, times are uncertain and and with that you know comes great challenge and potential for anxiety and disruption so i'm definitely concerned for the mental health of all people who are adjusting to this and you know which is most of us there's a great cost to this in the short term and on the other side of that though at times like these also present great opportunities and particularly for us to reflect on what matters most 
to us in life and also for us to to build the mental skills that enable us to be who we want to be in the world and in the same way that we've talked a lot about identity I think you know for adults as much as young performers our identity can become so indexed upon what we do so our job title our business our suburb we live in the car we drive etc like our identity can be wrapped up in what we do and that's not a bad thing by itself but it does come at a cost when that stuff can change so for example now like if you're not able to compete and your identity and worth is found in what you do then you're not able to kind of have that access that outlet that tops up your sense of worth and in that is a beautiful opportunity to reflect on who you are and what matters most to you and where your worth comes from when we do have the opportunity to re-engage with what we love to do we can do it because we choose to do it and because we want to do it and we can appreciate it even more than um than we perhaps did when it was always available to us. This doesn't make it any easier to navigate these challenges, but I do think there's there's some great opportunities in amongst it for us to look inward. You know, a global crisis can't take those character straight traits away. Yeah, that's something. There's, there's a really powerful kind of realization in that. Yeah, I guess thinking about what we can control and we can control how we react to the situation. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, that's the, the core of so many of the mental skills. And just before we wrap it up, you've been developing an app. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So my company with uh, a co-founder is called What's Right AI and it's an app that helps people bring their best to life and um, not everyone has access to the ongoing support that they need or um, can benefit from in terms of building mental skills and um, learning about themselves. So some of, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today in terms of what matters most to you and the type of person that you are and how you can bring the best of yourself to challenges and what your passions and future could look like and all of that, the app helps you to become even clearer about who you are and provide you with really actionable strategies that you can utilize it's not available just yet on the app store it's been rolled out through numerous organizations and sort of schools and sports academies and things like that but hopefully in the next few few months second half of the year have a version available for individuals to download which is exciting rory we've talked about so many things where can people find you if they want to ask you a question or they want to gain contact with you and find out more my website is rorydarkins.com and on instagram i think my handle is rory or something like that Instagram or uh, or the website would be a good place and for the speaking that I do with Eloise and um, we can deliver those in webinar format um, in these times as well Olympian's Guide to Positive Mindset on Facebook so any of those channels um, I'm always more than happy to to chat to people and, and support however I can. Now I'm going to go and reassess my whole style of parenting and rewrite the parenting handbook <laughs> <laughs> after that conversation. Thank gosh I have time to prepare myself before the next to Stedford and to reassess how I'm going to be delivering my feedback and to reassess how I'm going to be preparing my daughter for her competitions. Do the best. <laughs> we, we, well, that's what we can do. That's all we can do. <laughs> that's right. And have, and have the same amount of... Uh self-compassion and grace in your own internal self-talk as you would hope that your 
children have. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Rory. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to, to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming in and thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget that for the month of May, we have our good friends at Stretch Ladder offering an exclusive code to Dance Matter podcast listeners. We have 15% off all items at Stretch Ladder. That's the handstand boards and all the different size stretch letters. So make sure you check out their products and put in the code DMP20 to get your 15% off for the month of May. Remember, you can find previous episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts, or you can go to our website and find all of them there. You can also contact me via our Facebook or our Instagram page at Dance Matters Podcast. Please let me know any feedback you have, any questions you want answered, and I'll do my best to organise an interview and get those answered for you. Thanks again for joining us. I hope you're staying safe. Bye. Thank you.